Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Caraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavides, UFC flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? Amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's I'm Amazing Radio. I am your host, Dr. Law. With me, as always, DJ Mark. Sup. And that's it, folks. It's one of that's those it. podcasts. Poker, just roll me and Mark. over. <laughs> yeah, just me and Mark. Uh, means you're in for a shorter podcast and a good amount of nonsense talk at, nonsense talk at the end. Um, Steph is on vacation. Mike uh, will be back next week. Got to take care of something. Um, don't worry. No one's been fired or quit yet. Don't think we can fire people. Yeah, it's not really a firing. They just well, I mean, I guess like, in the, I mean, in the sense that I have the keys to everything, I can just be like, "Well, the doors are locked. We will not be having yeah. anyone." Else. You can just say we're not recording anymore. Yeah, but. that'd be that. But I guess if someone could quit, not happening yet, though. So we'll be hopefully full squad next week. Um, in time for us to talk about, I don't know if there's a card. Um, maybe Kevin Lee and Charles Oliveira. Not no, as or, nearly as important as the card we're going to talk about this week. Yeah. Um. We're going to talk about, well, we're going to talk about UFC 248, which came to you all from the T-Mobile Arena in wonderful, okay, in, in okay, Las Vegas, Nevada, um, headlined by a fight that we're going to talk about second because the co-main event was the best women's mixed martial arts fight any of us have ever seen. Let's just go with that. I can't really think of a comparable one. Um, Ronda and Misha one was fun. I would say Ronda Misha two, maybe yeah, those were when fun. I was, when I was thinking about this, it's like, actually those two fights came up cause they were competitive. Joanna and, and Rose, the but, second but one. even that fight, maybe the second one was a little bit closer, yeah. but a lot of them, like when I think of like the big high profile women's MMA fights, a lot of them are just mm. certain girls just getting clobbered, right? It's like Holly Holm and Ronda was really interesting. Yeah. Uh, Amanda Nunes and Cyborg was interesting, but it was really just one of those girls just smattering the other. We haven't had a war um, yeah. that we I mean, had last uh, couple days ago. I so. mean, for me, before this point, it would. I mean, here's the thing. When I think about it, I probably would give it to Yohan and Rose the second fight, but it's not like that was some memorable. It was a good fight, basically. It was a good fight. That's it. But, you know, it didn't even win uh, fight of the night the, on the card it was on, you know. That's a shame. <laughs> well, I mean, Yeah. So it was a good I'm fight. Sure, though. it was granted, but that that was a good fight. But yeah, this one was clearly, you know, when yeah. we got into the second and third round, I was like, oh, this is really it, something. And a close one, a real close one. I mean, when it was over, I think what I said to you was, I think Joanna won, and you said it's going to be hard to make that case with that thing growing on her head. But um, <laughs> the people who didn't see the fight, um, Marcus, I guess the best good way of describing it would be one person threw more strikes, other person hit threw harder strikes. Went five yeah. rounds. But I think it was, and and you you watched it twice. But I think like wasn't after the fact. Like Wei Wei Ling, her strike count was a lot higher than I thought during the fight. Yeah. Like the numbers were a lot closer. But yeah, ultimately at the end of the day, I think you know when you're coming down to what side you're going to um, you know choose this fight on is like, do you give more emphasis on Joanna, who seemingly and not always on the scorecard was just throwing a lot more, um, or do you give it to Wei Ling, who you know. I don't think it was connecting as often, but some of those punches just carried a lot. Yeah, we got overall strike. Overall strikes, it was significant strikes, 186 
out of 360 landed by Joanna, landing over 50% there, to 165 out of the, uh, out of 408 from Whaley, landing at about a 40% clip. No takedown, no takedown attempts by Joanna. One successful takedown attempt by Whaley and seven failures. So, so I mean, I think what's interesting is Whaling threw more strikes, right? Like that, her numbers higher. She threw, she threw more strikes. She didn't land as many. She didn't land as many. Yeah, but she threw more, and that's that's what's surprising is. I don't I remember. Thought, I don't remember. I mean, she honestly, she was missing a lot. She seemed to have a real problem, and I don't think this ever got fixed. Um, with Joanna's uh reach. Seemed to be a problem for her, I thought. I thought she was having a trouble by, like, she was missing her by inches a lot of the fight, is from what I, I could tell. I think I think a lot of it was, on the outside, Joanna absolutely had the range on her and was able to land jabs and low kicks. I think where I was most disappointed in Wailing was when she was able to get in the pocket, just not landing those strikes. Because um, that's she basically had to fight through the fire to get in the pocket to score shots. And she definitely landed some. I mean, you can see it in the score count. You can see it on Joanna's face. But there were so many times where Joanna was winning the exchanges, right? There would be an exchange where Wei Ling would have to get in outside of the jab and low kick to get in the pocket to throw punches. And even in those exchanges when she's in the pocket, she wasn't landing as cleanly um, as I would like until later in the fight. Because I think early on, it was just her right straight that was getting the work done. And then in the like third, fourth, and fifth round, her left hook started landing too. And I think that was the punch that Rose was landing consistently on Joanna. Well, she also landed, started landing those punches when the thin thing started growing out of Joanna's head seemed to be helping as well. And that was really when the fight, I thought, I mean, honestly, when the second round ended, you said you thought Whaley was down two rounds. And I agreed with you. And then I looked around and half the people thought, more than half the people thought Whaley won the first two rounds. But for me, I thought the third round was when Whaley really started picking it up. You know, and I think a lot of that was the damage done to Joanna. Yeah, I mean, I think very quickly in this fight, I think the first couple rounds were very competitive, and then the fight became almost like, oh my gosh, Joanna's face is just ex exploding. If you haven't seen it, she basically got a hematoma on her forehead, and I think it was a punch late in the second round, and then the third round, it was kind of all of her forehead. In the fourth round, it was all of her upper head. In the fifth round, it was like, not only her forehead, but then some of her eyes started swelling too. So it was nasty. Um, but I mean, what a warrior too. I can't imagine the kind of headache she's having the next day. I can't imagine how it feels, especially with Joanna, who, I mean, I think she values her physical appearance quite a bit. She's a very attractive young woman. And I think it probably hurt her ego a little bit to look up on the big screen and just be like, oh my God, this does not look like me anymore. My face has been a little rearranged here, but I, yeah. I think she's going to have a speedy recovery. You know, she didn't sustain any like massive cuts. So I imagine the hematona, the swelling will reduce after a while. I don't think there'll be any like major injuries, but it, it was a tough fight and it was a great fight. And I think honestly, we'll see this fight again. You know, it just did so well. This is, yeah, we I, have to I, I think honestly, fight of the year. I think people, yeah, that was definitely we're going to be right up there. We are going to have another thing for of the year coming up shortly, a knockout of the year possibly happening, uh, which people aren't really talking enough about um, with that Dariush fight. Um, I think we need all pumped our brakes a little bit with Whaley at the end of this fight, as good as she is, because there was all this talk like she was going to move up and wait and fight Valentina Shevchenko. Um, I think that fight would go very badly for her, Mark. Because Valentina hits harder than Joanna. And Whaley is, we learned of nothing else, she is hittable. Um, and yeah, I, don't I, I, I don't think she can rush in on her and not get counter-strike with some left hook from hell. 
you know. Yeah. That being said, Joanna moved up and fought her, and she's beat Joanna. So, I mean, I, I think this was a. I huge mean, Joanna test. got blanked by her, and true. This, I, mean, I think this was a huge test for Wailing. I mean, I think it was a huge test when she fought for the belt. It didn't it, at that yeah. time. The only other credible female opponent that she fought was Tisha Torres, and that was a very credible opponent, which she won. And then, you know, she got the quick stop stoppage on Jessica Andrade, and I think this fight was really let's see how good she really is. And look at this fight was not easy. She did not walk through Joanna. No, no one besides Rose really ever has. I, I guess Rose and Valentina, right? Or I mean, Valentina also fought her in Muay Thai and won those fights as well. Um, yeah. So I think if Wei Ling was able to just, you know, starch Joanna, then you can be like, okay, Valentina makes a lot of sense. But one, this division is pretty stacked. Rose is coming back to fight Jessica Andrade. If she wins, I think a Wei Ling and Rose fight is very compelling. I think there's a lot of interesting. I think fights. it's Tatiana Suarez time, brother. I think Tatiana is another one. I, I, what's interesting is this was a division that Joanna was dominating for a while. Mm. And right as kind of a new crop of fighters was coming in, she got dethroned, right? And now we've seen the belt handed around a few times. And now we have a, a solid champion, right? Kind of like Rose. She has won and defended the belt. Uh, so let's just see how far this goes. You know, this was this was a star-making performance. I mean, win, lose, or draw this type of fight is kind of needed for women's MMA just to be like, yeah, yeah these girls can throw down. It's worth paying money. Cause I think a lot of times there's a little bit of a stigma that, you know, the women's divisions, just the skill level quite isn't there. We well, you don't know what, get- man, my, my uh, little brother who's become more of an MMA fan the last few months, he was like, he wasn't really, he really doesn't dig women's MMA, but I, he was texting me during the main event and he's like, I just watched the best fight I've ever seen. Now, what is this trash? And I'm like, oh, yep. Yeah, if nothing else is going to come out of this thinking that was the better fight, it was the women's fight. You know what I mean? So yeah, no, the big fight. And, and this was a, a pretty big card. You know, Izzy's a pretty big star. So, you know, I, I hope a lot of eyes got on here. And hopefully, you know, the message of what happened in the main event doesn't overshadow, you know, like you said, not only fight of the year contender, but probably the best. I mean, I wouldn't even say probably. It was the best women's MMA fight. I've ever seen. And I've seen quite a bit. There's oh, yeah. nothing that's even come close. We mentioned a few of the ones that are like, oh, you know, Tate and Ronda, Joanna and Rose too. Those were good fights. This was this was a better high caliber fight. And like we said, yeah, exactly. We you said the words high caliber. That was the words. Because like if you just like look, you can get two people just because it's close and they brawl doesn't make it like as good as like you had a very technical strike. Like Joanna's the most technical striker in that division. And Wei Li's land is standing there with her and winning rounds and it was just the highest level striking you're going to see in women's MMA, really. I mean, those two and I mean, probably Valentina and Amanda are up there, too. But, like, very high-level fighters. You said yeah. it perfectly. And, and the problem with those other great fighters, Amanda Nunes and Valentino, they haven't really found that dance partner. And when they fought each other, it might have been the closest. But they haven't found a dance partner that, one, makes a compelling fight, right, where you don't know who's winning, but also a fight where both girls are, are, are scoring consistently right in this fight both these girls were landing punches they were both wearing a lot of damage it took a lot of heart grit and determination and that's what makes you know a fight of the year candidate which makes a fight of i the best it's hard because we hardly ever say like the best male fight that ever happened but this was easily you know because there's not as much footage, I mean, you know. It's fight the, the best, best fight of 2020 fight. so far. Easily, easily. I, I can't think of a better fight. Period. And, right. I, and I and I said like, oh, you know, we need to remember this fight. I don't think at the end of the year we're going to forget this fight when we have this conversation because I think it's going to be constantly coming up that we really got to treat come Saturday night. This was something. This was something special we don't get very often. Yeah, and um, I'll say it again. I'd like to see Tatiana Suarez get a title shot. I've been riding the Tatiana hype train um, for a while now, and I'd like to see what uh, Whaley can do with that. 
because Tatiana will take her down. The stylistically so, completely yeah. different match. Which um, makes it things I did not like. Whatever the fuck that post-fight interview was. Where we started getting her translator, who they started talking about, you know, we had the the virus in the coronavirus in China, but don't worry, you know, we'll take care of it. We're going to fix it. I'm like, kind of weird communist party line am I getting here now? The part I did enjoy was the kid was trying to, kept trying to translate. And he kept fucking up because he was too nervous, I guess, or something, or too excited. Oh, yeah, he fucked up. And Bad. then Joe Rogan said, get it together, bro, which I never... I mean, look, there was an opportunity to help the kid, but fuck him. Um, Joe Rogan it, <laughs> really you know what's weird, bro? If you remember, you, I mean, you watched it twice. The first question Joe Rogan answered, uh, Waylene goes on for like five minutes. Yeah. And at that point, I was like, oh, this kid's screwed. Like, yeah. he, she literally talked for five minutes. You can't yeah. translate all that. And he does, I mean, look at how accurate the translation is. Yeah, he starts is. talking about the coronavirus nonsense. Yeah, and, and, I have no idea. But then the next question, which he doesn't answer nearly as long, it wasn't, and, and to really specify, it wasn't just like he was kind of laughing and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm really excited. He didn't just say that once. Yeah. It was like two minutes of him just being like. I, I, I was oh. looking for an earpiece. Like, wh where are the lines coming in from? I started getting real, like, fucking conspiracy theory. Like, he's waiting for the radio transmission. It was weird. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was really Yeah, bad. I didn't know. Joe was absolutely right to tell him to get his shit together. Because it's like, dude, we're on pay-per-view. Your only job, as far as I'm concerned, is to repeat what she says in English. Get it together, man. Um. Do you know what? Okay. And we're going to talk about the main event now. And do you know what I like? People aren't belaboring this shit because a lot of times something happens in a UFC fight and we all got to dig into it for three fucking days. We're going to knock this out real quick, Mark. This fight was bad. Fight was real bad. Uh, Romero didn't really engage for the vast majority of the fight. And Izzy didn't, wasn't getting, wasn't going to force the issue. So we had a lot of people looking at each other. And uh, when Romero starts making faces, people, that means he's getting hit in the face and he doesn't like it. That's what it means. Um, this is now the second or third straight fight Romero just making faces of people. And as you put a mark, homeboy's old. So <laughs> maybe he's just getting old. He doesn't have it in him to go this many rounds. Fight was bad. What can you say? Huh? Uh, I mean, honestly, I this is my hot take, which is going to be... I did not disenjoy this fight as much as everyone else did. And I mean, so this was a fight watching live... I had a decent time because I mean, look, there well, wasn't we were laughing. A lot well, there wasn't too. a lot of action, but one, I'm not going to sit here in faint ignorance. Like I haven't seen this dude not do anything for three rounds and then win by flying knee. Like this is this dude's fucking mo. Very. Good if you're point. not, if you're not going to push him, Romero's not a guy who's going to cave into the pressure. He will stare at you for 25 minutes and throw one big punch and try to win the fight just off of that. Like so, a lot of this, like, oh, I can't believe this happened. Is like. You're not oh, watching if anybody, if anybody's shocked, they're a fucking idiot. Like, let's exactly. be real. So that, that's my first thing. And, um, you know, and I think Romero, I think it's fair to give a lot of the uh, brunt of this fight not being very compelling on him. But one, I kind of knew what to expect. And two, what, what made it not as a, I mean, we've had some title fights that I found a lot more dreadful is because I know Romero's not going to do a lot. But I know when he does do something, he goes 120%. Like, he doesn't throw anything half-fast. So you're not going to get a lot out of this dude. But when he fucking tries, and those He's are very, very rare, explosive. He explodes like a motherfucker. Like, he shoots this double leg, which knocks Izzy on his ass. He can't hold him down for shits. But, that was disappointing, by the way. The guy's a goddamn Olympian, and Izzy's just... Uh, Izzy couldn't get Izzy couldn't stop takedowns for some that died Italian dude three fights ago or four fights ago and now he's just getting up from this Olympics. I'm like I haven't seen Romero like on top in like a decade. Dude, like, I don't think Romero's physique allows him to grapple. I think he's getting too tired. 
Yeah. And I mean, and that's kind of the thing where it's like, look at, I, I know Romero as a fighter. I know what he does. So I'm not going to be shocked when he stands in front of you and you don't do anything and he doesn't do anything. Right. And I think, I think a lot of it was, this is just how Izzy fights. Izzy, we've talked about it in the first round. That's where he's, he's downloading, right? That's where he's trying to get a feel for the guy. Very Anderson like. Yeah. And if the dude's not giving you anything, there's not a lot for him to feel off of. Right. So it was a lot of Romero literally for three minutes standing right in the center of the cage, just hands up waiting for Izzy to, engage with him so he can counter and when he does he got clocked with a huge overhand right probably the best punch of the fight so i kind of told izzy like i gotta be real careful about coming in on this guy and i think it made it a cautious fight um i do feel a I lot mean, there's, of there's been far worse fights i mean let's be clear about been. this i've watched so many i mean honestly when this was over like my little brother was complaining because he's i mean i've seen so many bad fights and paid for them whatever i was just like that was just a waste of our time i mean really. for me it was like while I was watching it, I was engaged because at any I knew at any moment Romero could throw something crazy. And so could Izzy. You know, Izzy's a very dynamic striker. So I was always I was in anticipation of something explosive happening. And, you know, Romero exploded every now and then. Izzy had some good late kicks. Um, this is a fight that while I was watching it, I found it fairly entertaining because I was at the edge of my seat because I knew something spectacular could happen. This this is a guy that does flying knees at the third round when he hasn't done jack shit all fight and wins in spectacular form. So I was always waiting for potentially something crazy to happen but this fight's really bad is like i don't really have any interest in rewatching it right oh no, now I, that I know I, yeah that nothing happens i'm not going to spend time re-watching it but in the moment i thought it was interesting because i was excited for what was going to happen at the end of the day you know i think a lot of it falls on romero not pushing but you know when dana white's like oh this is his last shot i thought he was really going to come well, i mean forward. it was his last shot either way but it, yeah. it was but like when he's saying like oh i thought he was going to come forward and be aggressive that's just like this dude is 42 years old. He's so fucking jacked that he can't maintain a normal cardio for five rounds like these other guys can. Like the gas tank does not have that much in it. He has like eight explosions he can do in a five round fight, right? Yeah. He has to pick those explosions. So, you know, that's why when you look at his other fight with Paulo Costo, uh, that guy put it on him. That was a fucking. Oh, yeah. pa Paulo didn't give a shit. He's like, I'm just going to keep punching. He did, and that and that's the thing is like you. That's one way to fight Romero is that you drown him in the chaos. He can't keep pace with you because he does. There's so much galactic acid that is just getting sucked up into his muscles that like no man can put on the same pace at, at, that Costa did with the body of Romero. So at the end of the well, day, I mean, it Costa, was, Costa's got that same body. He does, and he he gets it done though. Like it's well, just, Costa also had to get a suspension for taking an IV, so. and he's like, <laughs> right. So uh, yeah, at the end of the day, this was. I think, you know, a, a disappointing fight. We knew potentially it could be something. Um, I, I'm disappointed in Romero, but it's like there's been a lot of fights where I've been disappointed in this guy, right? Like he has all of the talent and skill in the world to win these fights. He just doesn't have the energy to with that body physique to maintain it. And I understand he has to pick his shots very carefully. And with Izzy, look, at, I think he could have maybe done a little bit more, but he had to be careful because – there was times, Bobby, like in the third and fourth rounds, which I think were his strongest rounds, you're just like, kick his kick his legs. His legs are getting eaten up. And the thing is, he could kick Romero in the legs five times, but one of those five times, that guy's going to throw something back, and you've got to be sure you don't get caught with it. Yeah, I mean, look, it was a bad fight. Um, apparently, Romero only got this fight because Paulo Costa couldn't fight, yeah. due to the, I think, the suspension, and Izzy said he wanted to fight Romero because he thought, right. people don't want to fight Romero. I thought I want to beat him. Probably wasn't his, I mean, it wasn't his best performance. People need to just chill the fuck out. It was a bad fight. 
We all move on. Um, the, the thing is, he'll have another fight. He'll look great, and this will just be a people. I swear, MMA fans are just like most boring fighter ever. How could I ever pay to watch Izzy Adesanya? I'm like, I don't know, man. Watch his last fucking fight or the one before that. All right, pick one. All right. <laughs> anyway, um, Benil Dariush. Look, there's like the last minute of this fight where everybody just starts throwing heat, right? And then Benil Dariush catches uh, this cat, which it was a left hook. Um, close with this left hook that kind of knocks his mouth guard loose, or he's kind of playing with his mouth guard while he was getting hit. Long story short, we got a knockout of the year contender because uh, and Benil Dariush. It's nice for him to have a win that's memorable. Let's put it that way because he's been in the UFC a while. And I think what's important that we remember in this fight too, especially come end of the year when we're picking knockout of the year, it's really important to remember how this knockout materialized because it wasn't just Darush is fighting; he lands the big punch. And, I mean, what really made this so spectacular was, right, his mouthpiece got punched the fuck out of his mouth, mm-hmm. which made it a more spectacular finish. But, really, I think what we – what not only do we want to pin this fight for knockout of the year, but it's also just remember that last minute because Close rocked the fuck out of him. He was basically oh, yeah. wobbled. He was very close to finishing. Uh, <laughs> very funny there. Uh, and then Close really put it on him, and Darush came back and stunned him. And then he came back and knocked him out, and that's really what makes – I mean – Honestly, it was real uh, Congo and Barry like. Yeah, not as dramatic, but when, like, yeah. Like when that. we when we pick knockout, it, I think it's important that obviously the finishing blow is something memorable, and we have that in this one because the fucking mouthpiece flies out, dude's knocked unconscious, falls against the cage. But it also is very important to remember how we got to that knockout and having the dude that gets knocked out of the year be so close to losing the fight just to get it back. I think. Pays a lot more dividends oh, yeah. into getting that reward. So yeah, yeah, we have yeah, to remember that come end of the you year. You want that. some context. You need some context yeah, for how the exactly. knockout happened. And we also, it's very important for knockout of the year what happens after the knockout because sometimes Mark Hunt walks away and it looks badass and you got to be like, That's true. That's yeah, true. Sometimes, sometimes Jorge Mosfedal is sleeping next to the motherfucker after he knees him in the head and he's talking to the sleep person. All important. Sometimes <laughs> the dude's lying on the ground and you still do a giant jumping, flying punch forearm to his face and make it a t shirt for your company. I mean, oh, this that was. Well, that was the one where uh, Hendo said, uh, "Come to my after party at blah blah blah." Uh, you sh- you you uh, you could go to Vanderlei's, but it'll be at the hospital or something like that. He said something like Vanderlei's after party will be at the hospital at the post fight <laughs> interview there. And I remember this like, huh? He, he fought Bisping though. No, no, he's talking. Oh, I th- I'm talking about that one. I'm talking about the, when he did it to Vanderlei when he had. Oh, no, oh, I know what you mean, but when he did it to Vanderlei is when he said, "My my post fight party's at whatever." Vandalays will be at the hospital. Well, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, so um, that's important context to remember. Exactly. Um, Neil Magny had a Neil Magny fight, but I thought he looked a little sharper than usual. I just was a little disappointed where he just, like, he does this thing where he just gives up position sometimes for no reason. But besides that, he looked amazing. Yeah, I mean, he definitely outclassed um, Lee in this fight. But, yeah, there was still, like, even in the third round where it's like, he's dominating, he's winning all these rounds, like, Shit, but he's still losing the clinch and giving this guy the underhook to to push him up against the cages. There was lots of little positions throughout the fight, like you said, Bobby, where it's just like, Neil Magny, I know you're better than this, and you're letting this dude do a little too well, which I think might just be kind of the story of his career. Like, he has all the skill set in the world. He just lets these guys, like, do stuff to him that he shouldn't be letting them do. Um, but yeah, good fight for him, and a good rebound fight for him to get back on track. Uh, What do we open this show with? Oliveira and Max Griffin. Honestly, the only thing I remember from this fight is that Alex Oliveira looks to be about 102 years old, and he's only 32. 
That's all I got for you, man. Yeah, uh, mostly Max, I think, was winning the first round. He was doing pretty good. Uh, Oliveira kept trying to do these counter uppercuts, which in the first round got him in some trouble when he ate a, a big right straight when he was trying to go for one of those. Paid off in dividends in the second round when he, he landed the fucking thing, cut Max Griffin open, completely changed the uh, trajectory of the fight, and ended up winning a decision. So good on him. And Sean O'Malley, man, long layoff. Kid looked great. He he looked like the superstar that he is slowly becoming, right? He he had the pose and collectiveness of a Conor McGregor in there, and, and, and a fighting stance. It was very, you know, he had a very similar karate esque fighting stance, and just ran through his opponent. And I think his facial expressions really said it all. There was not a moment of panic, or he just seemed so comfortable in there, especially for being gone for as long as he was. He made the fight look simple. He made it look easy. Uh, and yeah, on to bigger and better things. This is obviously someone that coming up, you know, was making himself a star just with his charisma and his fight performance. But coming back after a big layoff, having that type of performance, I think it really solidifies that we have to watch out for this kid. Um, obviously, charisma is there. The skill set seems to be there. He needs to get in there with more top quality opponents so we can really see what he's made of. But yeah, this is definitely easily someone to look out for. Um. Sorry, Mark and I's mutual co-worker is trying to rent a car, and I did not tell him what company we got the car for him at. Bit of a struggle for our guy there. Um, I think that, I mean, what I mean, I don't really watch anything else. I, I half watched a Madsen fight. It's what happens when a wrestler has struggles taking a guy down. He gets tired, but he won. It was yeah, a nice win for him. Um, did you see this weird fucking story about the Korean zombie and Brian Ortega? Oh, I heard they got in some... Well, here's the thing. I guess, like, uh, this guy's a Korean uh, dude named Jay Park. He's a musician, um, rapper, singer, songwriter. I'm not familiar with him, but I guess he translates for Korean for uh, Korean zombie sometimes. Okay. And I guess he just translated that Korean zombie said, Brian Ortega's scared to fight me. So this guy translated it correctly. And then at the fight... Uh, after Korean Zombie went to the bathroom, Brian Ortega went up to Jay Park and said, are you Jay Park? And he said, yeah. And then he smacked Jay Park. And then that to be separated. And then, like, Brian Ortega, this video of him yelling, like, uh, I told you I'd slap you like, it's like, I was like, I told you I'd slap you like a bitch. And it's like, I'm not sure Brian Ortega's, I'm not calling him a dumb person. But is he aware how translations work? One. Two, waiting for the Korean Zombie to go to the bathroom is a part of the story that does not shine favorably on Brian Ortega. I mean... I don't know, I don't know what's going on. I'm just That part made me laugh. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like Brian Ortega is literally scared to fight Korean Zombie. He's not slapping Korean Zombie. He's slapping his translator, who's literally the middleman. Um, I mean, yeah. I didn't... I didn't I, I, all I heard was there was an altercation, and Brian Ortega had to be escorted out. So and the kid's not pressing charges, so Brian Ortega gets to keep his money and not go to jail. So which is good. As a musician, he's gonna be like, "Yeah, dude, I was just trying." Yeah, I was, I was gonna say I would press charges. I'm not. I'm not above pressing charges at all. Well, yeah, if you hit me, if guys. you hit me, guys, we're going to court. Let me be bluntly clear about it. No matter what I say on this podcast, if you don't agree with me, if hands are thrown, we'll be going to court later, and I will be driving your car home. All right. I hope it's a good one. Um, I don't know what else is going on. To be honest, I missed the news. Honestly, when this card was over, I was like, yeah, I got my fill. That's enough MMA for me. Yeah, it, was, it was honestly, besides the main event kind of leaving a bad taste in everyone's mouth, it, it was. You yeah, know, I mean, Oliver and Griffin wasn't boring. I thought Griffin should have fought. I thought Griffin 
missed a lot of opportunities in that fight. He looked great in the first round, and then when that cut started bleeding into his eye, he was kind of fucked. Yeah. <laughs> he was just uh, like, I, I don't know what to do now. And I was impressed with our guy, with my guy Neil Magny. I thought, like, after time off, he really, he has to fight Chiesa, which is a yeah. good fight. Yeah, and that, fights, like, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and he also picked a guy that's like, Chiesa is definitely a guy that is not going to let you just call him out and not <laughs> do yeah, something about it. Chiesa's like, got no ego. He should have called something, something about Chiesa's mom. If Chiesa would have driven there right well, there. He would, then he would have fought him in the game. We would have had a Jay Park, Brian Ortega situation. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Benil. That was awesome. And we had a women's yeah. fight of the year. Yeah. And we any card where you have the best women's fight or just best fight of the year is just that's worth price of admission right there. So that co-main event paid for the card itself. The other undercard fight, the other fights on the main card were very good and entertaining. The main event kind of, you know, it, it, it was a, it was it was not a great fight in the moment. I enjoyed it because I was excited to see what happened. When it came to an end, and I was like, well, nothing really exciting happened. I was like, okay, well, that wasn't that great. Um, that whole thing where uh, the whole press conference with Tony Ferguson and, and Khabib Nurmagomedov was real weird. Um, there was like, Tony had a baseball for some reason, and then sure. he gave it to Wei Li, and Wei Li came out with the baseball, and then Tony brought his belt, right? Uh, I, I, and then I, Khabib I kicked that. it off the stage. And I just sat there the whole time saying... I can't let myself get excited for this until they're in the cage. And then they called it the most anticipated fight in UFC history. I'm like, and you made a good point. You're like, well, if you add up each time we got anticipated, the cumulative amount of anticipation might act, might make sense. And I'm like, I might add up. Just by volume point. and not yeah. like, yeah. We got five attempts at this thing, even if you're mildly interested. Yeah, I mean, pray to whoever you pray to we get this fight. Though, if it, I mean, maybe pray for more important things. But if you have some sort of direct line to making sure this happens. Let's let's see if we can get it. Um, because we all want to see this. Um, yeah. Um, let's pick some fights. I'm down. Um, we are gonna talk about UFC going to I think Sao Paulo. No, sorry, Brasilia. Uh, headlined by this is awesome. And the more I think about this fight, Mark, the more excited I am for just the quality of this matchup. Kevin Lee and Charles Oliveira. Um, Kevin Lee. I like the Kevin Lee uh, fuck it, I'll fight anybody tour we've now started, apparently, because he decided to fight Gregor Gillespie in New York. Gillespie's, Gillespie's from New York. And, like, remember we're going into it, we talked about how bad of a matchup that was, we thought. And then he killed him, like, knocked him unconscious. And now he's like, fuck it, I'm going to Brazil to fight uh, Charles Oliveira, who is on some uh, some kind of a win streak here, buddy. I think he's won six, they said. Let me see. Charles Oliveira has won blah, 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 yep, blah, blah, six. six fights over. Here's the thing with Charles Oliveira. Charles Oliveira fights people you know the names of. You know, Guida. Okay, I don't know the second guy. Bad start. Guida, Giagos, Jim Miller, David Tamor, Nick Lentz, Jared Gordon. Um, The betting line for this one is real close. Kevin Lee minus 130, Charles Oliveira plus 110. Um, This is generally where Charles Oliveira, where Charles Oliveira loses a fight, Mark. Uh, we start getting to good people, really good people. Which I think very highly of Kevin Lee, quite frankly, skill wise. Um, I think Charles Oliveira is getting knocked out. I don't think it's going to decision. I, I, Kevin Lee having a boring decision is always a possibility, but I don't think Oliveira's style allows for that off the bottom. So I kind of have to, if I'm picking Kevin Lee, pick knockout. But I got Kevin Lee in this one. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm going to go with Kevin Lee too. It, it is tough because Charles does have a lot of momentum on his side. Uh, Kevin Lee kind of corrected ship with. Gregor uh, Gillespie fight like you talked about in spectacular fashion, no less. But before then, 
it, it hadn't all been roses. And obviously, when you look at the caliber of guys he was fighting, uh, Dos Anjos, Aliquinta, Tony Ferguson, Edson Barboza, who he won, and he won that fight. Um, you know, these are, like you said, the kind of the cream of the crop of the lightweight division. Uh, and, you know, he wasn't getting a lot of wins there. Uh, but it was big. Getting that Gregor win was really big. That was an up-and-comer. That's someone that is a credible name. And even though you kind of rattled off um, Charles Oliveira's last six fights, there's a couple names in there. And they're guys we know, but they're not, like, the top. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean look, beating Nick Lentz has not mean, meant anything in, like, at least three years. You know, there are a lot of older dudes on there. So, I mean, I'll be the first to say I've been slow and not fully on board the Kevin Lee train. I'm not, you know, I have not, I have not become a, a convert and think that, you know, he is the best thing since light spread or anything. But I, I, I do realize, having seen a lot of his fights now, seeing a lot more of his fights, that he is a quality guy. Um, I think he has the skill set to beat Charles Oliveira. But, I mean, Charles is also a guy that, you know, you make one mistake, especially in the grappling realm, he can easily snatch up. Uh, submission, whether it's a triangle yeah, choke, guillotine, you know the guy's tricky. So he, ha- Kevin Lee, has to watch out. But I think he's a smart wrestler who has heavy hands, and I think he's going to put a lot of punishment on Oliveira. Before Man, I-, he- I love Oliveira fights; they're never boring. Like your options are Oliveira gets cracked, or he turns a motherfucker into a pretzel. You know what I mean? There's like always he he the fight's getting finished. He has thirty. See how many fights is he? he has like thirty seven fights, and only three have gone to decision. Either way. Like yeah. the fight's ending if he's involved in it, um, and he's done well. It's just you know now I guess this is time to see if he's really gotten that much better because this Kevin Lee's no joke. Yeah, it's a big so. test. It's a it's a good test to see if these recent string of victories has come because he's made gains in his skill set and his ability to you know consistently get the win. Or if it's just he's not fighting, you know, the type of competition where he usually falters. And I think you can make arguments I mean, just looking at the record yeah. for both those things. Well, look who he loses to. Like, he lost to Jim Miller was his first loss when Jim Miller was just hadn't lost in, like, eight fights. He lost to uh, Cerrone. He lost to Cub Swanson, Frankie Edgar, An- Max Holloway, Anthony Pettis, Ricardo Lamas, Paul Felder. These are all top seven guys, basically, across the board when they were lost. They lost to them. Yep. So we got to see, man, because now he's fighting a top five guy, I think. Top seven, maybe eight in Kevin Lee. If he's not, he definitely has that skill level. But uh, dude's got most right. He has, the, he has so many performance of the Knights, Oliveira. In this win streak, he's got five of them. Six wins. He's got five performance of the Knights. That is nuts. Yeah, very impressive. Um, Kevin Lee got Kevin Lee got one where he detached a man's head from his shoulders almost, though. Um, co-main event for this one. We have no picks from the guys. There, we'll, we'll you, you'll check our website later. It'll be fine. Um, Gilbert Burns, Damian Maya, uh, Damian Maya coming into this. Is that the co-main event? Or my yeah, that is the co-main event. I believe so. Yeah, yeah, at least according to Wikipedia. Um, Damian Maya is coming off his last fight. I believe he got a W, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was wonderful. He choked Ben Askren. Three wins in a row for my guy Damian Maya. Taking on Gilbert Burns. Um, Gilbert Burns is a uh, favorite in this one. He's got four straight wins. Last one, a win over Gunnar Nelson. Um, I'm picking Damian Maya because, you know, that's how I operate. Let's be honest, as an underdog in this one. And the reason he's the underdog is because Gilbert Burns has got, like, Abu Dhabi medals from, from like, multiple years. He's a second-degree black belt. Um, I'm worried that this is about to be a shitty stand-up fight between two grapplers, Mark. But I got to take my guy, Damian Maya. Well, I mean, I, I'll, I'll give you this, Bob. You 
Sold me on picking Burns. <laughs> yeah, Most dude, he's got he's got a second degree belt belt. He just he got like a world jujitsu gold medals. He's got uh, no gi jujitsu gold medals. He's got all sorts of shit. Yeah, I didn't really know he was that uh, well established in grappling. Uh, and mostly when I look at it too, it's just he also has a lot of knockouts too. So I think if oh, it yeah. is going to be a sloppy stand up fight, I I am going to hedge the guy that at least you know has the power enough to stop some other guys in the past. Um, I think stylistically. I mean, I mostly look at Gilbert Burns as kind of more of a wrestler type. So you have a wrestler versus a jujitsu wrestler type. You know, I think he's going to be working off. You know, Maya's going to be working off his back potentially. Or I like mean, Damian's also way bigger than him. Uh, Damian is. Yeah, Damian's way bigger. Gilbert used to be fifty-five, right? I think, and Damian also like at seventy is bigger than everybody. That's true because like, he's, he's just a large man at seventy. Yeah, he used to be eighty-five. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. I was actually you know going into this was leaning Maya, and you kind of sold me on Burns, and also. He, there's only two of us on the show. We can't just all pick the same one. That's not fun. Exactly. So I'll take Burns, and I don't feel bad about it. Um, Hanato Moicano versus Damir Hadzovic. I believe that's the next one. Um, this fight is set up for Hanato Moicano to get a win. Um, he's a minus over like a minus three hundred favorite. Um, last time we saw Moicano, um, he's had a rough go the last couple fights, getting knocked out by Aldo and Korean Zombie. Haven't seen him fight in about nine months. Um, he's only 30 years old. I very much think they've created this fight as an opportunity for him to get back on track. Um, Hadzovic is coming off a loss to Giagos, who I've, I swear half this card, people have fought this Giagos guy, and I have no idea who he is. Um, he's got, for a guy with six UFC fights, I can't remember one of them, to be honest with you guys. With you guys. Um, he's three and three in the UFC. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm taking Moicano. Moicano's excellent. You lose to Aldo and, Z- and Zombie doesn't mean you're not. So, yeah, I'm in the same boat. Mostly, I don't really know his opponent, uh, you know, but I do know I've seen him. Yeah, and like you said, you can look at the losses there um, and kind of chalk it up to not good performances. You know, he also in both those fights, you know, was finished fairly quickly. You know, he made it to the second with Aldo, but got finished quickly in the second round. He didn't make it out of a minute with uh, Korean Zombie. But I, you look at the dance partner. I think that's. I really mean, that's why Brian Ortega scared a Korean zombie. Man, you can't just you know just you can't just give, roll up on him. We know there's no shame in losing a Korean zombie. Other fighters scared of him. Yeah, I have Mokano in this one. I it, mostly, if, if nothing else, I just like not as comfortable with the other guys. So not, the guy's not, got six UFC fights, and his la- and his first one was in 2016. He fights very infrequently. Yeah, he seems like he's the guy the UFC calls when they're in town, whatever town that Could is. Be. It's usually Brazil. Yeah. Um, we also have uh, this is going to be this is the last one we're picking, isn't it? Um, Johnny sure. Walker and uh, Nikita Krylov, um, folks. Um, I don't want to tell you what to do with your life, but um, I just want to say that if you are com- a person who complains about MMA fights going to decision, I'm just gonna like read this for you. Johnny Walker and Nikita Krylov have got have fifty three combined MMA fights. Do you know how many of those 53 fights have gone to decision between the two of them? Well, I do, because I'm looking at it. <laughs> One. All 25 of Krylov's wins have been via finish. Walker has 16 of finishes and 17 wins. Guys, this is going to be wonderful. That's all I got, man. It's going to be wonderful. Well, I'm, gonna a- ta- I'm, I'm, taking jo- I'm taking Johnny Walker because I like Nikita Krylov. I think he's a very good fighter, but I'm going to think I'm going to I'm going to put some faith in Faraz Zahabi. As uh, figuring out, uh, you know, getting Johnny Walker back on track here, who is the slight favorite at minus one fifty. 
Yeah, so I'm contemplating. This is tough. Yeah, because let me let me read who Krylov, what Krylov's coming off of. People don't know. They ain't been paying attention to what's going on with the former Al Capone. Such a better nickname than the Miner. Miner's terrible. Last time Nikita Krylov fought, he lost a split decision to Glover Teixeira. Got a choke over OSP. Got choked by Jan Blokowicz. I mean, the man is an action fighter. Johnny Walker, um, last time we saw him fight is when Corey Anderson knocked just knocked him the fuck out beat his ass and then yelled at him a bunch afterwards uh before that uh he hurt himself doing the worm after knocking out misha Kro- misha Serkinov, if i'm not mistaken so johnny walker though fighting out a tri-star my pick marcus yeah you know what I- i'm gonna make it interesting i'm gonna pick krylov me, me, me telling you krylov lost a split to glover i thought was gonna do the job for you to join me uh n- mostly the stat that i'm looking at that's really selling me on krylov is the one time he's been knocked out <laughs> he's only lost once by knockout um so and- johnny only lost ball once by knockout <laughs> he lost three times by knockout apparently oh i thought this was it okay uh, i mean <laughs> there were other fights that we weren't you know prevy to because no one knew who the fuck he was back yeah. then but i that's that was like okay. Well, you know what? If Johnny Walker can't knock him out, he's not going to submit him. I mean, maybe decision. So I, I think really what Krylov's got to do is obviously he has to weather that early storm. Uh, I think if he can, and especially if he can get this dude to the ground, we have not seen Johnny Walker off his back. I'm kind of making assumptions here that maybe he's not the great, the best at that. And if he someone can ground him for a little bit and tire him out, the potency of his striking will lessen significantly. So. You know, I'm going to go with Krylov. I think it's a little bit of a risky bet, mostly because you look at his stint in the UFC, and there's a decent amount of losses here. And some of these guys aren't the best, you know, guys in the world when you well, have... Well, I mean, his, since his UFC return, I feel, has really been... A, oh, I mean, actually, his roast for Don was pretty... He's not okay. I mean, he lost to Jan. He lose to Glover. It's not, you know... Yeah, those aren't great. I mean, Jan, I think that's understandable. Glover, I mean, Jan, Glover, Jan like, is the number one contender, apparently. Yeah, and, and <laughs> Glover is a guy that's kind of been sticking around, but that's kind of a fight. If he would have beat Glover, I think that, that carries a little bit more weight on it. So that's why I'm, you know, I'm not flying over the moon with Krylov, but in this specific matchup, picking fights just with you will make it interesting, and I'll be on the other side of this one. Fair enough. Um, we're going to get them also. They're, the boys are about to get four losses each for not making picks. I think so, right? That sounds right. They got a couple days, folks. They got till Saturday. I, they I know. Here, we got to let them know. Look, you missed the cutoff today. You, you, hey, you know who they really fucked is you. You listening right now, they fucked you bad because you need to know what their picks are. And now you got to go on at some old way. Well, I mean, what, what, what are the standings right now? Maybe they don't need to know their picks. Well, actually, you know what, Bobby? You make a compelling point. You're in first <laughs> how, are you, how, how are you and me doing? Yeah, well, you're you're in a, a fairly demanding first place. Picking all the fights right last week really helped out. Uh, at 13 and 8, I'm not too far behind with 11 and 10, just getting over that 500 hump. And then we got uh, Mike and Steph are both 10 and 11. So they're just slightly under. So... Um, you know, us picking two different fights here. I could make a good headway here if Burns and Krylov win. Uh, we lose pretty badly if Lee and uh, Moicano lose. But, you know, I- I'm feeling pretty confident. I, I like these ones where I've uh, picked someone else on you. And, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much this card. So, without further ado, I guess we'll just talk about stuff we like. No, Bobby? Is that what we do next? Yeah, let's talk about stuff we like. Um I, I spent all weekend working. <laughs> I thought you like all the the things you no, like. What I like. You had to do this, that. You this, is, this is my weekly reminder that you all should be watching the listening to the New Day podcast because this week, this is the type of stuff we should do with this podcast, by the way. I've realized where they're just like, 
They made a 64 TV show bracket, or more realistically, they found it on a website, and they're making their pick for the best TV show ever. And in one of the, you know, it's March Madness season. That's why they did a bracket. And they're debating Nip Tuck versus Game of Thrones. And uh, Xavier Woods said Nip Tuck. And Kofi Kingston was incredulous that anybody would think Nip Tuck is a better show than Game of Thrones. And just to hear wrestlers talk about the Night King getting jobbed out made me laugh quite a bit. <laughs> right? It's a good podcast. Every week I come in this podcast and tell you guys to listen to a different podcast. But in addition to ours, it's not really about wrestling. So you guys would enjoy it I'm if you don't like wrestling. I'm sold, Bobby. Because I think this week, because I had to make... I had to make a little trip down to Clovis, which is like a three-hour drive, so it's six hours round trip. I burned through what would normally be a lot of my Monday podcasts. So this, this today, when we're recording this on Monday, it's a little slump pickings. I do have a thing coming in on Tuesday, but there's a hole on Thursday. And believe me, what, what's that? Is it just called the New Day podcast? Yeah. I okay. think that might be called Feel the Power. We look up the New Day. It'll be there. Okay. That's so, it. I mean... We're getting close. It's at the top of my list. When I'm running out of things, I might turn that way. One of these weeks, I might just have it with you. Um, I listen. You know, I listen, did listen to also. I hadn't listened to this in a long time. I listened to uh, this is a old something we brought up before as a thing we like. I definitely have. Mike has. I don't know if you did or you definitely chimed in because you've listened. How did this get made? Which is the podcast, the Earwolf podcast with uh, Paul Shear. Jason Manzukis and June Diane, Raff- June Diane Raphael, where they talk about bad movies or movies so bad they're good. And they did it, uh, one about Space Jam. That's good. Um, which really the key for this podcast is like, you have to have like seen the show. Um, you need to know the movie. If you, yeah. if you talk about a movie you haven't seen, it's just not nearly going to be nearly as good. Um, they just, but they, uh, they just hate on Space Jam the whole time and the crowd's not digging it. But that check sucks. that out. <laughs> It always yeah. sucks when you listen to a podcast that you really like and enjoy, and they're talking about a thing that you fucking love as a kid, and then they just shit all over it, and you're like, no, 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 wait, I wanted you to like it, so I want to revel in this thing I like instead of a bunch of bullshit that I don't. Just um, really- so what do you got this week, man? That's all I got. I actually have a lot this week. So last week, I mean, obviously, the last couple months I've been talking about how games have been kind of dead. Uh, last week, I mentioned that the Final Fantasy VII remake demo kind of dropped out of nowhere. And I've just been consuming that all week. Uh, I only actually played through it once, but I've watched like five other YouTube channels play through it and got their thoughts. And what I'll say about it, because I have other stuff I want to get to as well, is that um, as someone that loves Final Fantasy VII, that considers it to be their favorite game, um, and that is has been really looking forward to this remake, I was blown away with the demo. I think they've done a fantastic job. They have created something beyond what I originally wanted when this concept of this game was even brought up, which was over a decade ago, they basically showed a PS3 tech demo of Final Fantasy VII, basically kind of remodeled for the new hardware then for PS3. And ever since then, people have been clamoring for this remake. And it was a long time was never going to be a thing. Square had always said, like, we're not working on Final Fantasy VII remake. Stop asking about it. And then five years ago, they actually said, like, we're doing it. We're making it. And there's been a lot of up, ups and downs since then. Obviously, a big thing, big caveat about the game is that this remake is not going to be the full Final Fantasy VII game. It's going to be split up in parts, and this is essentially part one of how many parts we do not know that have not been disclosed to us. I think that's causing a lot of people anxiety about, you know, how much am I getting for my $60 in this game if I'm not getting the full remake um, experience. But I've I've been blown away, and I'm more happy. I'm more than happy to wait for Square to take their time, and if they need to take the next 20 years and make 
six installments of their if they're at this quality then i'm more than happy to wait and give them my 60 bucks throughout the whole process every time they put out something new so i'm over the moon it's honestly the game i'm thinking about all the time i can't wait until it comes out uh and i could talk about it and maybe we'll talk about it at length in other episodes but there's i saw two new movies and a new show that i want to uh talk about too so i'm going to cut off the final fantasy love there it will come back when wait, it comes what? Out. What I would say, it's not coming out for another week and a half? No, it's about a month. A month from oh, when I you guys were listening to this. Oh, I thought it was coming out. I don't know. I thought, I thought you told me because you told me you were going to take a day. And yeah, I thought that was like in March. 10th. April 10th. April 10th. That might be why. Okay. Yeah. About March. So um, I saw, I'll, I'll talk about the new stuff I saw that just came out. I, Me and my wife, Christine, watched Onward, which is the new Pixar movie. This is basically kind of a fantasy movie set in kind of like more modern times. Um, and it's just a Pixar movie. Uh, it's a family family friendly movie. I really loved it. I really like this concept that they've been going for in this movie and in some other films as well. I'm trying to remember what the Netflix movie was with Will Smith, where it was basically the same kind of concept, a fantasy world in modern times. Uh, but this is obviously a lot more cartoony, extremely heartfelt. Um, it was just really fun. As someone that you know, over the last you know, 10 years or so, maybe less than that. I've been getting a lot more into the fantasy genre playing D and D. This has a lot of that kind of roots in it um, about going on quests and adventures in a fantasy land. It was just really fun. I highly recommend people check it out. I know review wise hasn't really been set in the charts on fire. Uh, but for me personally, I think it's one of my favorite Pixar films, mostly to do with just the genre uh, and kind of like, you know, it taking set in this fantasy realm. I just thought was really cool. It was really fun. The narrative, the structure, the world building um, that they built in this movie, I thought was just really fun. I really enjoyed it. Uh, another much lesser known film that no one listens to, I would be shocked if anyone listened to this, saw this film, uh, is called The Color Out of Space. This is actually an adapted film from an HP Lovecraft sh short story of the same name. And I kind of got onto this. I don't even know how I found it, but Christine, uh, my wife, who is a big Lovecraft fan, heard about this or saw we saw a trailer for it and she's like oh that was a short story which basically had no story in it really and she's like i don't know how they're gonna make that movie um when it was coming out i was curious to see how it did and review wise it didn't bomb it did fairly well and this is a nick cage independent movie it has a lot of makings to be pretty terrible and how dare you sir i mean nick cage is oof, and he's nick cage in it in this movie <laughs> and honestly when we were watching it the first part where it's kind of just giving backstory. I mean, basically the premise is Nick Cage has a family that live kind of out in the middle of nowhere. A meteor falls and fucks them all up because it's all Eldrick's horror bullshit. And the part where they're trying to establish like, oh, this is Nick Cage and this is his family. They live on this farm is pretty fucking bad. And obviously the director and writer of this film has a weird leg fetish because he mentions multiple times how he likes women's legs and it's just fucking weird. One time Nick Cage is with his wife who recently just had breast surgery because she had breast cancer and they're kind of talking about like how they haven't had sex in a while and he's like well you know i always love your legs i'm a leg man it's just like okay that's kind of creepy the next scene there's a guy with his daughter and she's like are you looking at my legs and this daughter is always wearing short shorts and like high high top socks and it's just like okay obviously this dude has some weird leg fetish and i really wish he didn't put those lines in the movie because that's all i can think about now you get past the first 20, 30 minutes where they're doing the setup. When shit starts hitting the fan is where this this movie really kicks into gear. And I actually found it to be a, a really fun watch. Um, definitely not something I'm going to tell you to run out and seek. 
But this is something like if you're in a plane and you see it, not a bad watch. If it's a Netflix thing and you're kind of in the mood for kind of like a campy horror movie, I think you could do a lot worse when it really gets to these got people going crazy. The mom's going insane and the kids are going nuts and you're trying to figure out what's happening. There's a cameo from, uh, was it Tommy Chung, right? The, the weed smoking guy. There's, there's a lot of things to like in this movie. There's a lot of things not to like, but overall me and Christine had a good time watching it. And it's definitely something that if you kind of come across and it's free to stream or something, or you're on a plane, you could do a lot worse. I think it's kind of entertaining in, in that realm. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about, I know there's been quite a bit this week. Uh, me and Steph have been little fans of the viral rapper Little Nicky for quite some time, and Dicky, Little Dicky, yeah, not Little Nicky. That's a that's a that's an Adam Sandler flick that was also quite well. Little things do well. What can I say? Little monsters, little giants—they're all great. Um, but yeah, uh, Little Dicky was kind of quiet for the last year, uh, and a couple months ago, I kind of like looked into it, like, yeah, what's this guy doing? Is he laying down singles I've been missing or what? And it turned out, you know, he got an FXX show uh, basically based on his life. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. One, I think his raps are really funny. He's mentioned a lot of times in interviews that he wanted to, you know, kind of be like the cross between a rapper and Larry David. So it's obviously been kind of a goal of his to have a sitcom. And I was like, oh, cool. This is coming to fruition. I'm really excited for him. I'm interested to check it out. About Three or four weeks ago, trailers started dropping, and I saw a couple of these trailers, and they honestly did not really sell me. Um, if anything, they kind of deterred me. I was like, yeah, maybe this isn't going to be so hot, which is fine. You know, there's been a lot of other shows I've had high expectations for that didn't really, you know, meet the bar. But, um, you know, I found out it was going to be on Hulu, which I have access to. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to check it out. I definitely want to see what's up. And if it's not good, you know, it's unfortunate, whatever. Um, but I'm here to say I really enjoyed it. I really had a good time. You know, I, I'm not going to say... It's of the caliber of an Atlanta or like these really fun, interesting, thought provoking shows. But I honestly recommend it. I think, Bob, I mean, if you have a chance, I would recommend you watching it. It is, it is really entertaining. And hopefully, Steph, who's also been a fan, is interested in checking it out. Uh, I mean, it is on Hulu. So if you have access to that, it's an easy thing to stream. And I think the first two episodes are up now. And I really just enjoyed it. You know, it wasn't a thing that blew my socks off, but it's definitely like, Okay, I enjoyed that enough where I'm going to be coming back every week and seeing it, and maybe the show gets better. You know, who knows? Um, but I really did enjoy it, and I did come in with a fairly low bar. I was not expecting a lot from this, so that definitely helped. Um, but I would say his name is Dave. I think it's like Bowman or Berman. I can't remember what Little Dickie's actual name is. I think that's I think the Berman sounded right. Berman, something like that. And I'll say, look at this guy, he is one a fantastic rapper. Just straight up uh, satire aside, the dude just bird. Knows, bird, that was it. The dude just knows how to spit fire. Like he has a flow and he can do that shit as good as the rest of them, for sure. Not as great as an actor. Um, his acting, I feel, is a little flat, which kind of works for his character. He's definitely the straight man with an ensemble of friends and characters that are kind of always jabbing him. And I mean, the premise of the show is basically just his life. He's trying to get in the rap game rap game but he is kind of a nerdy white guy and he kind of has he struggles to figure out like what am i going to rap about i can't rap about what rappers normally talk about because that's not my lifestyle i have to do this satire i have to make it funny and he's and basically the show is like him as little dicky going viral at the, at the point in the show he's already kind of internet famous but he hasn't really reached out into like the mainstream rap industry and it kind of talks about his relationship with his friends and stuff and it's really fun Wait, I really, this is fx 
Yeah, this is on FX. And if I mean, you got the creator of the league with him. That's who did this. Yeah, and I think Kevin Hart is producing. So I mean, there's a lot of. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's but you. I mean, Jeff Schaefer is like he came from Seinfeld. He created Fest Festivus is actually like he's the one who. Okay, that's good. Like he came from his family, but he's the one who did Festivus, and he's also the one who him and his wife made the league. So he's got some. That guy's got juice at that network. So yeah, it's not like he's I going in there and without I kinda, allies. I kind of think this is a league-ish type of show right like i i honestly wasn't interested in the league because i don't care about football at all but when you kind of i know bobby you watched it early on it's so like don't worry like the fantasy football is just the catalyst to get into the the shenanigans really it's not what the show is it's really very about. that show is very always sunny with the background of yeah and, I, and I think the humor level is i think is very similar on this show like there's a lot of fun jokes and a lot of it has to do with his friends who are kind of a little zany too um yes yeah, so I, I definitely check it out it's just called Dave, so not the most... I mean, I think you should just call it Little Dicky. I think a lot of people would f see that and know what it was about and jump into it a little easier. But yeah, I really liked it. If you got Hulu, I definitely recommend checking it out. Honestly, you said Atlanta, and since you said Atlanta, I've been sitting here saying, when the fuck is Atlanta coming back? Yeah. I mean, Atlanta is a show... Did you finish Atlanta? I don't know. I think new stuff just came on Hulu, so I was going to check and see, like, did I see this season? You saw Teddy now? Perkins? I did. Okay, so that was that was that season. Okay, it was so I think I've season. seen it all. I think I'm caught. Did you up. see the Drake party? Maybe I no, I did. Like, I did. Yeah, okay. like that was his closet. Yeah, I saw this. God, I, that just I, I gotta watch Atlanta season two all yeah. over again. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, just giving that as that's the high bar. Dave is coming in lower than that. It's not as high concept as that. It's just a sitcom, it, but it's a, it's a fun one. So he's not like even like Louis or anything like that. Or Louis's more depressing. Yeah, I mean. That whole show took a real hit. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I would say it's a it was under Louis um, because it's not it's not really trying. There's no like big Louis kind of has like a message that he's trying to like convey at the end of the episode, right? And this isn't really that. This is more of like just a sitcom of a rapper trying to make it in the game. But it is really fun. There and, and I really want to spotlight a lot of the secondary characters because his friends are really fun. He meets this guy in the studio called Gator. Uh, who's like kind of like this black gangster kind of guy, and he kind of helps little Dicky get his foot in the door, and they're kind of back and forth. It's just a lot of fun. There's a lot of good stuff to like in the show. I definitely recommend giving the first episode a try. You'll know pretty early on, like, okay, this is either for me or not, and you can just bounce off if it's not for you. But I think you might like it. Right on. I'll give it a shot. Why not? I kind of stopped with little Dicky when he started rapping with Chris Brown, and I was just like. You're better than this little dicky. That's you fair. Are better than I this. Mean, he kind of went Hollywood. He got famous. Well, I mean, it's like it's not like I'm taking a stand as much as I was just like he kind of started getting famous, and I was just like, well, the guys will tell me if I need to check. And I think I, like, I didn't find like that was a Freaky Friday song. Like that song wasn't really, I think, his best. And I think his songs after that really have. I don't think he's hit that same level that he did early on. And it might be because he's just getting popular, and it's not as cool. You know, it's not as in to be into little dicky because he's kind of made it. But I also just think like his songs haven't resonated with me as much. Um, and that's why I was excited to see the show. Cause I was like, you know what? I've been feel falling off a little bit on little Dickie. I want to get back in. Let's see what he's up to. The show had low expectations. I saw it and I was like, you know what? I really like this. I'm definitely going to keep watching this. So yeah. Little Dickie was a, a marketing guy here. Oh, that was his yeah. thing. He was a marketing guy yeah, in San Francisco. And and the show does not take place in San Francisco. I think it takes place. In like that's that. how you get me to watch shit though, man. If you put stuff, here's the thing. We're from, we all live in, we live in California. Not a lot of shows are based in the Bay area. They really aren't. So if like a movie or a show is in the Bay Area, I'm normally like, yeah, man. Yeah, I, honestly, uh, Bobby, they could come in three episodes and be like, oh, yeah, this is San Francisco. He just lives in a city-like place, but it does not. It has. They have not established where that place is. I'm kind of just assuming L.A., but yeah, not been established.
Um, okay. That's I think it. we got all we got. We're going to talk next week. We're gonna have a, Next week's going to be an interesting show because, well, God willing, it's not just me and you talking. I mean, whatever. It could just be you and me talking. But that's not the goal. That's not what we're aiming for. Um, we'd like to talk to you guys next week and see if uh, this Kevin Lee, Charles Oliveira flight lives up to how much I hyped it up or this Krylov and uh, Johnny Walker fight does. Um, I'm excited for uh, Tyrone Woodley, Leon Edwards, though. That's what we're going to be picking next week. That'd be cool. Uh, John, uh, Tyron Woodley flying all the way to London to whoop Leon Edwards' fa- ass in front of his own people. Just telling you guys I'm le- which way I'm leaning on this pick. But uh, that's a close one, though, honestly, the more I think about it. I, we haven't seen Tyron fight in uh, a year. It's been, that's a, it's been a whole year, hasn't it? When did what's-his-name become champion? Um, Pretty close. Because we haven't seen Usman fight more than once. And he got hurt immediately. After, like, Usman... Usman's currently, by the way, folks, trying to play hardball with the UFC. Um, March 2nd, 2019. Um, there's something else I wanted to take because, I mean, I think it's – I'm pretty confident, and I'm, I'm just dragging this website episode out, but I want to check something real quickly before we call it a, a day. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, we are – this could be the anniversary. This could be our anniversary episode for the podcast. Um, eight years, seven. We years. start. Let me see. The first episode dropped March eleventh, twenty twelve. So this is it. It's eight years. Eight years. We've been, do- right. we've been doing this. We've been doing this eight years, guys. Made zero dollars. I gotta work on that sponsorship. We're we gonna get that to sponsorship. Uh, not really. We're not. We, we can't get. We can't even get full attendance on our own podcast. We're gonna try to get Baby people steps. to give us money. Yeah. What if we get a sponsorship and they say, no, we only liked the episodes when it was just like two of you? Uh, you got to make some cuts, make some hard decisions. That, 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 that's, that's what we just like. Yeah. Say, guys, you guys got to start a separate podcast. You're, those episodes aren't aren't sponsored. All right, guys. We'll be back next week to see the to talk about the return of T. Wood. Uh, see what's going on in these fights this next weekend. Um, yeah, that's really it. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening so much. Um, it's been eight years. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be another eight years of doing it, but if nothing else, oh, we're doing it next yeah. week. Yeah, we're doing this. We're doing That means I'll be doing this when I'm 42 years old. Maybe eight more years, definitely one more week. Yeah. By the way, as I sit here thinking, you and me forgot the apply for Bellator credentials. So that's not happening. Oh, thank well, you all. Live thank and you learn. so much. Yeah. Thank you all for listening, guys. Um, I was Dr. Law. That was, ki- that was, let's say that was Kid Presentable. That was DJ Mark. That's the other it. motherfuckers aren't here. We'll see you all next week. Peace out. See ya. Thank you.